the incomparable. Number 460, May 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparable Podcast. I am your host, Jason Snell, and we're going to talk about uh, this. It's TV season wrap-up season here on the Incomparable, where we're going to have several episodes in the next few weeks where we talk about uh, a whole season of television that has recently finished. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 2, a show that you can uh, find in America on CBS All Access in the rest of the world on Netflix. And where is it in Canada, Erica? Uh, it is on Space and also available on Crave, the streaming service. All right. It may also be day. available in space we don't know <laughs> well yeah aren't we beaming space. everything out i thought that was a joke i thought that was that's an actual streaming service it's a, no it's a tv it's a, it is a cable yeah station it's a cable it's, it's the space. only linear tv channel that star trek discovery exists on in fact is in canada oh wow it's uh yeah that's We're special yeah yeah can't it's because canada has, doesn't have the internet yet i think that's the reason anyway <laughs> uh here are the people who are going to talk about season two of star trek discovery with me it, they are the following. Erica Ensign, we've already given it away because she watched on uh, Space slash Crave. Yep. Hello from snowy Canada. Hello. Hello. Yes. Some some spr- The spring snow is falling. How sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, also here, Andrzej Tomic from Slovenia, where he would presumably get it on Netflix. Hello. Yes. The one thing I can actually watch on Netflix that you can't. And I, I'm going to keep bringing that up, just so you know. Okay, great. Great. Also watching on Netflix is uh, Liz Miles. Hello. Hello from Driech, Scotland. Yes, very, very nice, very nice. Uh, let's move back to the United States. Uh, a fellow Californian, Joe Steele, is here. Joe Rosenstiel, hello. Hello. I'm just uh, sipping a jipper, but I'm not on the beach no. anywhere. No, just <laughs> sipping a jipper and uh, paying for CVS All Access, as we do here in America. <laughs> and uh, oh. similar boat, Aline Sims, hello. Ah, uh, CBS All Access, hello. There are lots of debates about the best way to watch CBS All Access, and it goes back and forth depending on which uh, subscription tier. Anyway, it's complicated. It's complicated, but we do get it first, so there's that. We do get it. It's released at, at 5.30 on Thursdays this year was their decision. And by 5.30, I mean generally 5 p.m. Pacific, 8.30 Eastern, but I think we whatever. get it at 6 Mountain. I think so. I think actually the first people to get, and the reason that it tends to turn on at uh, at 8 Eastern, in uh, even though it says 8.30, is because Canada shows it at that at 8 ah. Eastern. Well, you know, maybe it's because we make it here <laughs> that I, I wonder if that's it i wonder if there's some preferred something because for probably to do with subsidies from the government that allow it to be shown at the time that it's shown in canada since they make they shoot the show in toronto um which is not how they pronounce it in toronto but i'm not in toronto so i'm not going to pronounce it like they do take that well, toronto fine. uh yeah we're fighting the power of canada anyway uh yes a canadian television series star trek discovery we should talk about it um i and and i wanted to start now, b- before we get started, I will refer people, if somebody would like to hear people talking about Star Trek Discovery immediately after they watched it, episode by episode, in great detail, I recommend the uh, Vulcan Hello, which is a TV podcast, flashcast, that Scott McNulty and I did for every episode of this season. And uh, if you want that level of detail, enjoy. It's already there for you. But it's for, really good. But for, Oh, can, that's very kind attest. of you. I've it listened is, to every episode. Mm-hmm. It yes. is fun to do that. And... Um, 
And I miss not talking to Scott every week, actually. It's kind of weird. It's like, oh, Scott and I have this thing. It's like our little check-in on Thursdays. And it's like, no, I should start calling Scott at home on Thursday nights. Just like, hey, Scott. <laughs> I'm sure. What are your feelings about Star Trek, just in general? Um, uh, so one of the big things about season two of, of Star Trek Discovery, which is interesting in, ter- in terms of the way the show is structured, is uh, you've got characters coming in and you've got characters going away. And so in season one, of course, Lorca was the captain. Uh, he, that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> I've already forgotten about that I mean, that Jason guy. Isaacs mm-hmm. is great, but it, like the, the character, the character uh, was bad and went to the mirror universe and died. So uh, instead, in season two, we were left with a cliffhanger at the end of season one that the USS Enterprise, the classic Enterprise, was, uh, was hailing uh, the, uh, the Discovery uh, and interrupting them from going to Vulcan. And somewhere on Vulcan, there's somebody who thinks that they're going to be the captain of the Discovery, and they're just never going to be the captain of the Discovery. I feel for that Aww. person. And instead, we meet um, Captain Pike. Uh, and, and in this season, we have Captain Pike, played by Anson Mount. We've got Ethan Ooh. Peck playing Spock, who comes a little bit later in the show. Uh, and then in a, in, a, in a handful of episodes, Rebecca Romaine as number one. So classic series characters recast, brought in to uh, interact with the Discovery characters. And uh, I think this is this is when people remember this season, they're going to be like, oh, the one with Pike in it, as opposed to the one with Lorca in it. And I think it, I think one of the challenges that Discovery has is walking a line between making these new characters, who, well, these old characters that are being brought back into canon and recast uh, part of the equation without overwhelming the fact that they are not our main characters and they are not the lead, like Pike, Anson Mount is not the lead of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Sonequa Martin Green is. Michael Burnham is the main character in the show. And uh, that is a tricky line I think for this show to walk. So I, th- my first question to throw out to all of you is um, how do you think they, how do you think they, they balance the new, uh, the new and old characters, or I guess the old and older characters, depending on how you want to view it. Because I, I do think that was one of the core questions going into the season was how are they going to be able to bring in these, you know, charismatic characters. Uh, Pike turned out to be even more charismatic, I think, than we expected. And of course, Spock, mm-hmm. famous character, the definitive Star Trek character. Um, how do you how do you bring them into this show without completely overriding the, sh- the show? So how do people think they did? I remember being really scared when I saw the first trailer of season two because it was so focused on Pike. And I was very nervous that they were like... Um, scared of the fact that uh, they they had a black female lead and they were going to emphasise, oh, look, it's Pike. Look how we can appeal to, inverted commas, everyone with uh, uh, our our male captain again. And then when it got to the season, it was like, nope, nope, Michael is still the star. Michael is still the big damn hero who is going to have all the major, big, heroic moments. And also, we cast someone amazing for Pike. (laughs) And I just, I... I was like going in there after I saw a picture of him and I saw how blue his eyes were because I've never seen Anson Mount in anything before. I was like, okay, okay, he's he's not too shabby. He's not as pretty as Jeffrey Hunter, but he's he's not bad. And then every single scene of him, he's just perfect. He does these tiny little movements with his eyes or the corner of his mouth. And they're just, oh my God, your ability to have charisma on screen is astonishing. I was... I was thrilled. I would like to second everything that Liz yep. just said. All of <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- this is this is the real balance, right? It's like Anson Mount, I, I think I, I've not heard anyone say a negative word about him. He 
that performance of Pike is so great. And yet, I think, you know, my my feeling is that they, they walk the line pretty well of saying, you know, he's a mentor to Burnham. He's not the star of the show. And as great as mm-hmm. he is, he doesn't like elbow her out of the way and say, no, 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 mm-hmm. I'm the hero here. That doesn't happen. Yeah. And he still has some human shortcomings uh, that pop up every now and then from not being involved in the events of the first one. Um, but that mostly plays out with other characters. He's, he's just part of the ensemble uh, and in a way injects uh, some of the usual Federation-ness that might have been missing <laughs> from the first season into what's going on here to kind of set a new baseline for what is Starfleet appropriate, I would I would say. I also think it's easier the second time around not having the captain as sort of the main character. Because I think like it was a like a bit jarring for me in the first season, but Lorca was a kind of a crappy character. <laughs> so I was kind of glad he was gone. But like he he's like my he's the best Pike in my opinion. All, of all the Pikes. <laughs> of like of House yeah. Pike, he's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Oh. Crossovers. You see, I, I, I've been hailing sharply at that. And yeah, I'm thinking, really, if you had a choice between Jeffrey Hunter and the cage or Anson Mount in the season of Trek, which would you pick? Don't lie to yourself. And it's like, I want to lie to myself because I think it might be Anson mm. That's like, yeah. I'm betraying <laughs> I would go so far as to say that Ensign Mount as Captain Pike is now my favorite uh, Star Trek captain and of. Wow. 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 Oh, yeah. wow I mean, and I'm, I, I'm not like steeped in Star Trek the way that uh, a lot of a lot of you guys are, but I have seen bits and pieces of, of all of it and all of much of it. So, uh, yeah, I just thought he was great. I'm prepared to bump him up to maybe number two. Wow. I, I would go that far. He's not the Cisco, but he's pretty good. <laughs> I watched The Cage, uh, I think, like last week, just because the, the season ended. And yeah, th- this is this one's better. <laughs> like, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, no, this like, one! <laughs> the Cage is 60 years old. <laughs> I know, I know, but still. <laughs> season one was really, it revolved around five characters, right? It, we had... Well, six. We had Giorgio, we had Michael, we had Lorca, we had uh, Saru, we had um, Tilly. Um, is that like, oh, and Ash? Well, Sta- and Ash mm-hmm. and Stamets and Culber. No, it was, it was season one okay, is yeah, the yeah, yeah. seven, it really was like the whatever, seven main characters and then a couple other characters beyond that. That's and, true. And then like the bridge crew was also present, but we barely even knew their names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this season they opened it up more and I think that they did a really good job of doing that, of not only integrating Pike into the crew in a way that was, I don't know, I felt it was pretty believable. People were reticent at first. He was um, um, like towing the line, but also giving people grace and trusting them and earning trust. Um, And also we got more characters and more character notes because my big thing last season was like oh yeah you you have this cast this big cast and like we don't even know their names we know nothing about these people and so I really appreciated that this season I feel like that they were able to expand it to tell some stories a little bit more um, without making it feel overwhelming which I think is something that that's really tricky um, 
and a conversation we have, you know, like about the Marvel universe. Like, how do you have an Avengers film with 73 main characters? It's hard. <laughs> and um, it's really easy, would be really, really easy not to do that well. And I feel like they did that really well this season. Yeah, that was on my list of things that I wanted for season two is please expand with these, um, I don't know if you want to call them supporting or background characters, but these like, they all got little lines. We all see them reacting on the bridge, you know, give, give us something more. And we, we got that, which is like, yay. That was one of the things I loved about Captain Pike was that as a captain, he seemed to, and I mean, maybe it was part of, partly because he was coming in as a new captain to this ship, but he really seemed to make an effort to get to know each of the characters on the bridge like he actually spoke to them and used their names on a very regular basis uh, and that was that was a little bit different and I mean maybe maybe Lorca had done that sometime previous to when season one started but it was nice as a viewer to watch that happening because it, it definitely made me feel like I was getting to know the bridge characters a little bit better than I had in the first season yeah I still wish we got some more with them yeah mm. um especially with a couple of the characters that were introduced uh this season for the bridge because we have a tactical officer and i remember his job is that he's the tactical officer <laughs> but i couldn't tell you anything else about him um and we have non who i remember but uh, she, wears, she, has, she has an orthodontic headgear that she uses to breathe. <laughs> to breathe. She mm-hmm. has she's amazing badass. green eyeshadow. Her sparkly green eyeshadow is one of my favorite things about the season. Yes. So I'm like, mm-hmm. and she wears a skirt. I was just, I kind of love that, that she's wearing the skirt and boots, you know, and everyone else wearing trousers. It's, it's like, you got you got a choice there. She's chosen this and sparkly green eyeshadow. Like, I, I, yeah. Is that wrong to love a character for that? That's no, fine. it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but we, we have uh, the character that was introduced the actress who formerly played Arium in the first season uh-huh. who i guess didn't want to be in the makeup or didn't want to die yeah they and really they really wanted her to continue but she didn't want to wear the makeup so they cast <gasps> a new actress as Arium put her in as a background character and then she took over Arium's job when Arium died so it's like the old switcheroo to get her back on the bridge oh without my God. the makeup i didn't spot. know that yeah my whole world is shattered. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a weird it, it's a weird situation. Lots of characters, Joe. Right, because last season was notable because it was a Star Trek show where your uh, ensemble of characters was not the people who are on the bridge all the time. There were other people who were on the bridge all the time, and only some of those characters would show up on the bridge. And you know, this season they did. I think one of one of many things they did this season. If there's a theme of this season for me, it is uh, the the new producers of the show basically saying we're going to fix all of these issues that. It turns out we inherited from the original concept of the show and part of it was we're going to give the bridge crew names and uh you're going to be able to recognize them and they're going to have dialogue not a lot you're right but like i like the example there there was that one episode the new eden episode where they take oo down on the planet with them and she gets to like do some stuff and be on an away mission it's like now we know who she is right now she can use a magnet yeah but they took her they took her down to be the expert and then they didn't actually let her do much of anything she was she barely got to talk it doesn't always work out That was a low that was kind of a low point for me and I was like, oh no, is that what the season is going to be? But that was yeah. only episode two and I feel like they, they did a lot better after that. Well at, le- at least she wasn't a red shirt. 
you know, like it's not <laughs> true. It's not the you know the, the, the past Star Treks, I guess. You know, you'd see a guy maybe in two, three episodes, and then there he'd go on the away mission, and you know, and that's stuff that's, happens. That's the yeah. end. Yeah, it's true. I, I think the challenge though is then they've inherited all these existing characters. They've created all these new characters. They've imported a bunch of other characters from uh, from the Enterprise, and you end up with this weird situation where it's great in the sense that it makes the ship feel like an actual ship would feel with lots of people doing different jobs, as opposed to many Star Trek shows where there's literally only seven people who can do anything, and and then the occasional red shirt who doesn't is bad at doing things because they get killed, and uh, that's it. And and Discovery feels full in that way. There is in another way this problem, which is you can't service every character. There, there is literally a period where Tilly, who is one of my favorite characters in the show, she just disappears for a couple weeks toward the end of the season, and we don't. She's just gone. Mm-hmm. And I, I realize some of that may be scheduling and it may be actor contracts, but part of it too is like there's not room for all of these characters. And they're, it's good that the ship feels full, but that is a challenge when you've suddenly got to service 15 different characters. I think they needed more short treks sprinkled in huh. throughout the season, <laughs> perhaps, because I really, really enjoyed those. I think I liked them more than most people did uh, that came out before the, the season. Just, you know, short little blips that got, got you a little bit of character information about somebody. I mean, it wasn't always somebody that I cared about, but 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 there was I felt like if you had done that with more of the bridge crew, you could actually I, I would feel like I knew them a little bit better. Obviously, you know, you're right. They can't service everybody. And each one of those short tracks probably cost a lot of money. But still, I feel like that would be one way that they could uh, do that for the future. So, dear universe, dear Star Trek people mm. in Canada, please make this happen. I feel like I got really well served with the characters. Like, all my faves got plenty of screen time. Apart from what Jason said there was, yeah, there were. When Tilly came back and had those interactions with the prin- uh, queen... Um, I suddenly realized, oh, you've barely been in it for a bit. <laughs> That's making me sad now, I've noticed. But at the time, I was so distracted with all the scenes of other characters that I loved that I didn't notice. So that made me that made me feel worse. <laughs> this episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Pingdom. Pingdom is the company that makes website performance monitoring super easy. Now, everybody, when you're out there on the internet, you want a fast site, you want a fast service, You don't want to wait. You don't want to have something be broken. Pingdom helps keep your favorite sites online. Netflix and Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack. These are just a few of the companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring needs. Websites can get super complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. So it's not just is the site up. It's stuff like user registrations, logins, checkouts, and much more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if something goes wrong, if disaster strikes, if your computers betray you, you will be the first one to know. It's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is the URL of your site. That's it. They take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now, and you'll get a 14-day free trial. No credit card required. When you sign up, use this code Snell, my last name, at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. What a deal. Thank you to Pingdom for warning us when our sites aren't up, when our computers betray us, and for supporting the incomparable. My um, favorite character from season one was Saru, and the, this season did some very interesting things with him. Again, mm-hmm. it's hard for me not to step out of the uh, what uh, of the Watsonian and into the Doyleist oh, and no. say that one what of was the, the I'm, I'm sorry, but to say <laughs> to say that they wanted to tell this story and they also wanted to kind of 
change his character. And so they tell the story about the Kelpians uh, having been oppressed by the the Ba'ul, I think, which is not a Stargate villain. It mm-hmm. just sounds like it. And uh, and that he sheds his threat ganglia and is a new Saru in a way and bolder and has to kind of like struggle with, well, wait a second, I'm less timid than I used to be. It does feel to me a little bit like they're saying, well, we want Saru to be more of a bold captain type person or first officer type. And, and uh, we're going to use it as part of the story line but it is a fascinating progression for him and there's that whole episode where uh they think he's gonna die and i gotta say even though i I just i watched that whole episode i was kind of fished in i was like i was like oh does does he is he too big now that the 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 movie the fish movie he was in won an oscar does he want out (laughs) out of star trek discovery and they're killing him off and i really until the last minute i was like okay you got me show i really did not know that you were gonna uh whether you were gonna kill him off or not but that was a big you know a big character progression for him uh, doing that and going back to his planet and freeing basically rapidly throwing the shackles off of an entire planet's culture in a very captain kirk kind of way so you know (laughs) lots of stuff for saru this season which i liked yeah, that was the episode where I had to Google the translation for ganglia because I hadn't. I, I like that was the ah. first time I've encountered that word, <laughs> honestly. And I was like, "What the oh the things cool. from the back of his head?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna Google that." And I actually paused it and went. And, <laughs> yeah, but I like Saru as well. But I think like when Jason, when you say like the the show feels like the ship feels full, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that you know Michael is the sort of the central character. I think like that, like I said, for the first season it was kind of jarring for me because it wasn't from the captain's point of view. But I've actually gotten really used to just other characters coming characters coming onto the bridge and we kind of see the captain react to them because it used to be the other way around, you know, just be orders and people would scurry around. But I, I actually kind of like it. And the, the, as far as the bridge crew goes, I don't know. I, I think I got like, I, hopefully like this, the, the, in the third season, we'll get to know some more of them, maybe. Uh-huh. Like, I hope they're kind of spreading it, spreading it out. Maybe. I don't know. I, I felt like I got enough from most of them, I guess. There's a lot less other people around in the third season, apparently. <laughs> the last move, which we'll get to, uh, the last move of the show does sort of simplify the cast a little bit, which is, I think, again, part of the ongoing theme of season two of trying to get the show to be where the current producers of it want it to be um, and not what they inherited through you know, multiple showrunners and from the uh, original uh, Brian Fuller concept of it which they've been they've been tweaking along the way now one of the things that emerged from that brian fuller original concept is the idea that michael burnham was spock's adopted sister and was raised by sarek and amanda which is you know a a very sort of controversial i guess in some fan circles but deep link to star trek uh canon and what i thought was interesting in this season again is not only did they they um acknowledge that but these the people who wrote this season they leaned into it they Mm. brought spock in sort of halfway through the season and he's front and center and that is you know that is a gamble even more than bringing in a pike where we've seen pike in you know uh, uh, an episode and then a different pike in the jj abrams movies Um, bringing in spock you know, it, it can be a dangerous thing to do. So how did it how did it work? How did Ethan Peck's, you know, ragged, uh, beardy Spock work for everybody? <laughs> so in my head canon, Vulcans could not grow beards. And there was something in the mirror universe, like epigenetically, that triggered some kind of something that enabled them to grow facial hair. And that's how we get the like the mustachioed, twirling mustachioed mirror universe villains. Uh-huh. Um 
I wasn't a fan of the beard. I was really glad when the beard went away in the last episode because I was like, <laughs> oh, yes, this is Spock. I don't know. It, it was just it was very jarring to me. It was very hard for me to think of him as Spock with like that full on bushy facial hair. Yeah, I thought that as soon as he got on board, he was going to shave and then, then we'd be just move on with everything. But then it was yeah. like, nope, he's going to have that beard the rest of the show, I guess. <laughs> I was the other way around because um, when he came out in the final bit and from his perspective, and I was like, oh my God, he shaved and we came around. I was, wow, this is why does Falk look weird without a beard? I've just become <laughs> so used to it. That this was, he looked really freaky and sort of half naked without it. I was like, no. Yeah, I'm 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 team Liz on this one cuz I mean at first uh, I I was not on board with with the beard and I totally laughed at Michael's comment about you really think that beard is working um, cuz I was <laughs> yeah. like yeah that's you look you look shaggy and unkempt which was the the point at the beginning and I was just as surprised as anyone that the beard stuck around but it it totally I got used to it and I felt like Ethan Peck was doing such a good job of channeling the Spock that was sort of the Spock that I knew, but totally the Spock that fit in with this this version of Star Trek. I thought he did a really great job. And I just, I kind of got used to the rhythms of that and seeing him. And then, yeah, when he shaved it off at the end, like I, I recognize that that was sort of a, a a bit of a character moment. He's he's shedding his past and it letting that be behind him just as he's shedding his whiskers. And, you know, that's, that's nice. Uh, plus, it also sort of brings us back in line with canon because the Spock that we knew never had a beard. Um, but yeah, I had the same reaction when I saw him walk out on the bridge. I was like... Who's that 12-year-old boy? <laughs> really he does look very slightly young. disturbed. Yeah. I was actually surprised that I was fine with him having the beard and just having another Spock in general, I think. Because mm. when I heard that was going to be a thing in this season, I was like, no, no, not not like the core characters, right? Pike's okay. He's like, it was in two episodes, basically. But like, this is Spock. And I was like, really? I was just like fine with it. I just went along with it. They didn't mind the beard at all, actually. So I was actually, I don't know. I don't know surprised at myself that it was just it was kind of fun just seeing a new take on Spock and everything and it was weird that he wasn't one of the central characters like really the core core here but I guess that's a theme uh, with this Star Trek and I'm kind of enjoying it now so I was like yeah as, uh, the 12 year old boy comment I'll agree with that because when he <laughs> came that looked like the sort of the you know the the, the sterile feeling the, the original show had whatever it was really, really immaculate I think they kind of pulled that off in that last scene with Spock and everything looked like there were just mannequins and everything was like and clean and mm -hmm. stuff. I don't know, like a germaphobe would be just fine on yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's brand new and, you know, they just, they just fixed the Enterprise up so it's nice and clean and they just took it out of the box. But that is like, what, seven years, I, I think, canonically before uh, Captain Kirk on the ship. So it, it is young Spock, right? That is, yeah. that is part of it. And that, that's one of the reasons that, that I think it works. I, yeah, I think it was a, a good performance. I liked it. Um, it was weird, right? To, I, I've shared your feelings on Jay where it's like, uh, really another Spock. I mean, it's good that they kind of already went there um, in the J.J. Abrams movies. So it's like, okay, look, these are these are now characters that are going to be reinterpreted and recast. Uh, other actors are going to play them. So it was not quite as jarring, but still, um, yeah, I, I felt like that was a huge risk that if they didn't do do Spock right, <laughs> they were going to, yeah. and not not so much Pike, but if they didn't do Spock right, they were going to uh, 
go in a ditch. And, uh, and and you know what? It was delightful and it worked out. And I'll throw in Rebecca Romaine, who is only in three episodes. Um, she comes on board and orders a cheeseburger on the Discovery, which I, I still I love that. And it doesn't tell her not to order that she should have a space salad, which it does to other people. She's earned it. She gets that cheeseburger. But at the end, there you know she is in her role in the last two episodes as number one. And I thought that was great casting, too, because that's a character we've seen extremely little of. Obviously, Majel Barrett played her in The Cage. Um, and uh, they do. Uh, they I, I think she was great, too, in what, what yeah. we saw of her. Um, and if you didn't notice, because it goes by really fast and it's over a communicator, they do finally officially canonize her name, which has been a name that has been not canon for a long time. Uh, but there's a very brief line of dialogue because in, in a bunch of books, she was given a name, the name Una. Um, yeah, she's she's named for one of my friends. Yeah, yeah, Una McCormack, Una McCormack the, the unofficial seventh Verity. It's canonized now. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> so that's cool too. And she did she did like like she did pull it off. Like she was like I don't know like a fresh take on that character, which we actually seen the original show for like what seventeen minutes maybe. Yeah, or she's like, she's in a handful she, of scenes. She's technically the star of the cage. She's the one who sorts everything out that's going on. Yeah, that know, is Pike's, true. Yes, Pike's just yes. chilling, and she's like, I am fixing this problem. And, and oh god, sorry, I just, I just love the cage that she's the one who overloads the phaser and is like, I'm putting an end to this. This is what we're doing. And yeah, whilst Pike's just standing there, just like, uh, I'll talk this one out. No, no, she's getting stuffed up. And she's she's just as no nonsense, right? Rebecca Romaine's uh, number mm. one is just as no nonsense. When she comes on board and orders that cheeseburger, she's basically breaking Starfleet protocol to give information to Pike. And she's just like, no, I'm like, this is this is the job. Like, she's just <laughs> cool and collected. And uh, I also yeah. I got to admire a first officer who also is going to take the uh, the console. Like, I don't need to just stand here and advise you, Riker. <laughs> I can, I'm, I'm pushing the buttons, I, too. I could drive the ship. That's right. <laughs> no, I remember when um, it was announced that Pike was going to be in it, that what I said uh, immediately was, that means number one has to be in it. It's wrong if number one isn't in it. And when Rebecca Romaine announced on her Twitter that she was playing her, I was like, yes, yes, mm-hmm. you got my list of things again. Thank you very much. Pander more to me. So one of the, speaking of pandering, um, and this is this is a thing that I think is fascinating about this season is is it did not shy away from the fact that it was a prequel, which is interesting because I felt like um, the first few years of Enterprise were treading lightly with lightly with it. The last season of Enterprise uh, embraced it a little bit more, and even in the first season of Discovery, it was sort of like we will make some we will make some very careful linkages to the past, but uh, we're we're not going to go too far. And this season. I felt like they were fearless in saying, no, Mm -hmm. it's Star Trek and we are right before the original series and we're going to show you Spock and we're going to have Pike on our bridge the whole season and we're going to show the Enterprise multiple times. We're going to go on the bridge of the Enterprise and in what I thought was the most mind boggling choice as a classic Star Trek fan, they spent mm-hmm. an entire episode on Talos Four with the Talosians, yes. Yes. which is the whole yes. original oh pilot of Star Trek. Yeah. Does it, does it? How did everyone react at the end of that episode when it announced where they were going? I was really worried. I, ju- I wrote in the incomparable slag the coordinates. That's what I wrote. That's what I remember. <laughs> like in the Star Trek, that I was so like that is because I'm a guy that actually still watches the original series. And when I heard, when I heard Talos, I was like, "What is this? Is pandering?" But it's pandering to me, and that's okay. Like, yeah. I was so happy. Sorry, I was just, they, one of the best moments in this season. 
by I far. Was, I was, I think, the, the best vote when they went down there for me was when they had a look at the sparkly purple flower, or not the purple, the blue flowers again. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, you people love Star Trek so much, you're prepared to put this sort of thing in. It's so good. Yeah. It was kind of a silly and unnecessary moment, but uh, yes. I, I did like yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it just it made me so happy. It's like, I don't care. The singing flowers that make the transporter noise. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> but I really love what they did on Talos 4 um, mm. with Vina and all of that, because that could have also not been great, uh, because you have to kind of walk that line of this is in between the events of that first pilot and where Pike winds up in uh, the menagerie. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you kind of have to weave that together. And I think that they did that with the dialogue uh, that they gave for Vina, her concern over Pike and, and stuff and uh, acknowledging the Telosians need for experiencing certain things. And this also uh, lets us, tie up some loose ends and connect some dots on uh, Michael Burnham and Spock's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an unnecessarily prolonged mystery of what it was that Burnham did that pushed Spock away. Yeah. And yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. We finally got that resolved and out of the way, because if they had gone on another episode, I would have been upset. Uh, but uh, they, they get to visit it with the two characters and work on their differences uh, as they're trying to like fix his brain uh, from his mind meld with uh, f- the future Red Angel, which we haven't even talked about yet. No, but, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, it's, on, it's on my list. The time time travel is definitely going to be something we talk about, but I, I wanted to get into the, the TOS, uh, you know, references a little bit not only talus for which i uh melissa george is vena i thought that was another bit of good casting they really killed yeah. it on the casting of these mm-hmm. uh, especially these yeah, classic ep- classic characters and finding good actors to play them and 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 uh melissa george did a really good job as vena um and then of course the other the other thing that i didn't think that they would do that even even knowing that pike was in the season is how would they do it that they would foreshadow uh, other than mentioning in when he finds the oh. fortune cookie on the floor that mentions a cage <laughs> and i was like oh good you did it there and then literally in that episode where he touches the time crystal and sees his fate i was like i cannot believe that they're going there and they managed to take and this is this is the maybe the thing that impressed me most this whole season they managed to take this you know, riffing around uh, with uh, with Star Trek canon and making it a powerful character moment that transforms how we view Star Trek canon because I had never really considered the possibility, which is now what's in the Star Trek canon, that Pike knows what's coming for him and he moves and he decides to go ahead with it anyway because of who he is as a person and what he believes. And that was, I thought, uh, an amazing moment of taking what I know about Star Trek and using it uh, so powerfully to define uh, who that character is. I thought they really, that was amazing to me. That was like the maybe second, well, no, probably the most gut-punching part of the season for me. I'm not sure I can watch again. Just mm-hmm. at that moment in the Menagerie when we find out what happened to Pike, it's just before, I had, it did nothing to me. It was like, oh, that's sad. But there was nothing really hitting me about it and now I'm scared to watch it again mm-hmm. because thank you very much Anson Mind. Because yep. then we get to know Pike 
and then they and then they show us the accident and you think oh no 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 mm-hmm. no this is the thing they <laughs> mentioned in one line of dialogue in the menagerie and we don't yes. ever need to see this now and it's it's not just that it's it's adds about stupid face it's it's first of all as getting to see him the actual accident happen and him starting to burn away yeah but then his face when he's back in the real world in the monastery and the actual this this consummate professional that we trust that shows compassion, intelligence, determination, bravery. You know, you want him on your side if you're in a apocalypse anywhere. And this vulnerability that's suddenly in his face and on his eyes, and you just want to protect him from the horrible future and him fighting with himself to do what he knows is right. It's just, oh my God, stop it. Why are you trying to kill me here with Felix? And and it's made all the more sort of like it walks the line perfectly because he sees the the bad part. He sees the fact that he is is horribly injured and scarred, but it doesn't show him all of what's after that. Mm. So yeah. so the the menagerie yeah. still makes sense. It still makes sense that Captain Pike is constantly saying no 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 when when Spock is trying to to take him away and get him to tell us for. Um, whereas if if Pike at this point had seen all of that, he probably wouldn't argue and just be like, yeah, sure. It's going to work out just fine. So like the the time crystal gives him exactly as much as he needs to be terrified of of what's coming. And and it it works perfectly with for canon and it works perfectly for all of those like feelings things that Liz just said. And a delicate bit of retconning that they do in the episode with Vina is that Vina makes a telepathic link with Pike in that episode and talks to him. And that (sighs) sets the suggestion that there's more of a an emotional connection between those two characters than really could possibly have existed from just watching the cage like it i feel like it, it makes a stronger point that like um this is why it's extra good that pike ends up on talos four because uh, Pike and Vina have, it builds their relationship a little bit more. So that is a, it, it's not like, hey, I know you're horribly burned, but you're going to be able to live out your life with this random woman that you met once for an hour, right? It's a little, <laughs> they put more in there. And I thought that was really delicately done. It's not an hour. It's like a couple of hours. All right. And it was in a fantasy world and maybe they enjoyed it themselves. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just said, I, I, I just, I felt the connection with them and I'm like, oh, and they end up together. This is great. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I take your point. I just also, again, have to point out Anson Mount's face when he sees her. Mm-hmm. And again, just that, that dropping of the Captain Pike and getting to see the I am Chris slash Christopher, yeah. a person, which just, oh my God. Damn you. <laughs> and and one more thing that they kind of uh, did right, and I know it's a small thing, but I really, like, I was pleased that it was kind of okay, was the chair when he sees mm. himself, you know, mm. the, the famous chair. Like, it was a new take on the chair, but it was like a good new take on the chair, which, I don't know, I kind of like that, because it's one of those things that would have really irritated me if they'd gone in some weird direction, made it all futuristic and stuff. It was still like a black thing with a couple of lights on it. Mm. I don't know, I just like that they didn't go, you know, like overboard with stuff like that. I did like the shot composition, uh, where you are on uh, Pike in... The JJ Universe Admiral Pike uh, gray uniform right. thing with the, the shoulder epaulets. And you see down the corridor this long shot behind him. And it's a total horror movie thing of that's where the thing's going to come in. And there slowly comes into frame the out of focus uh, uh, chair. And then he sees himself and the face melts and all that good stuff. Um, so it was it was done very effectively. And I 
I don't want to derail us from our discussion of character moments and canon, but uh, the the set design, production design, everything that they've done in terms of d- directing, except for a couple spinny camera things, has mm-hmm. all been fantastic this season. And it really highlights those character moments and uh, works with canon, like Andre said, with uh, designing this chair that doesn't look like the literal thing but uh fits with this universe i think one of the things that impressed me i think that yeah the production design on this show is great but i think the chair is a good example of what they seem to have decided which is we're going to honor the canon while also basically saying what would this look like if it was a show made today and not in the 1960s and so the bridge of the enterprise they built a brand new set it's not even a redress of one of the other sets they built a brand new bridge set for the enterprise and it is recognizably the enterprise but it's also not what we saw in you know in like the relics episode of next generation or in the in a mirror darkly episode of enterprise which is a, a, an identical looking thing to the original star trek series because i mean the jig is up like this is set before the original series and the ships look totally different so they tried to honor it but in a modern way and i think that enterprise bridge looks fantastic because it looks yeah. great yeah. and looks like a modern interpretation of the enterprise bridge and i like that's what they're trying to do with all those things the chair is the same example right which is like how do we do it today but still make it feel like that's the same chair yeah i absolutely love that you know they're happy to acknowledge we're making this show almost 6 decades later and that's all right. Okay, we do not actually have to use 60s technology and special effects and ways of designing things. It's okay. It's okay. We can we can live with it. And that then oh the bridge set. I was I was um a couple of weeks behind on track. I hadn't uh, been watching it every week for for student doesn't matter. Right. Anyway, the point being, and I managed to see this out the Enterprise Bridge first episode like a couple of weeks late. Hadn't been spoiled for it. And when they walked in, I was like, oh my God. Yep. And then I had to I had to keep pausing it when they did different camera angles <laughs> so I could examine the background and see like how they changed how they were doing different bits of it. And I just I just think it was so cool. Loved it. Orange, really? Huh. It, it, it did kind of bug me that it wasn't as orange as <laughs> but apparently it was even something that uh uh, Tamara Deverell, I read a uh, interview that she did about about all of this stuff after the the finale aired, and she's like, "Yeah, we powder coated and went through all of these different swatches because the that railing color changes color throughout the original series and pilots, and it's like we settled on this red orange and we did that, but the line just says orange, and so it doesn't quite look right." And then Alex Kurtzman said, "It's fine. It's We're gonna keep I, think he, I think he said it's funnier <laughs> this way, right? Like it's just just letter, and it is an orangey red or a reddish orange." And I always thought of them as red, but when you look at them, they are kind of an orangey red. And uh, and that Giorgio line is so great. And it's not just the orange, really. It's the uh that she does at the end. It's just so hilarious. Because oh. we didn't mention uh, Giorgio except in passing, but I think that the fact that we got her back as the emperor, uh, right? We got the mirror version of her was an interesting thing at the end of season one. But the fact that she co- recurs in season two and she gets inside sort of like our villain, which is the the section 31 stuff, but she's always back and forth. And uh, that that character progresses a lot in in that in that we it is revealed in various ways that she can't help it she um is one of michael burnham's many mothers 
but like let's, three mothers. She's got three moms. Four. Yeah, <laughs> three, three and a half, I'd call it. Because I, 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 the other Captain Giorgio, but also right. more of a mentor figure than a mother one. So three and a half. But but yeah, Giorgio and her uh, time traveling mom and Amanda. So she's got the three moms mm. three to serve the three different mom purposes, so I guess. Good. But but Giorgio, yeah, like uh, that's a great character. And and they made um, Michelle Yeoh. They gave her like opportunity to fight people, which is great because yes, please. frankly, yeah. if oh, you God. have Michelle Yeoh on your um, on your show. Uh, you are committing malpractice if she isn't occasionally punching and kicking somebody. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Oh my god, I, I, there's so much I love about Discovery, but Michelle Yeoh, oh my god, I just everything from when she was originally announced to and then her tragically die. You know, I was like, no, but then then she came back, and the real huge twist for me last season that I didn't see coming that completely took my breath away was. Michael grabbing her and her surviving and coming back to our universe. I was just, wow. And then to have her through this season and just every, her, her comic timing is sublime mm-hmm. and her relationship with Michael, everything about it is perfect. Every single scene they have together, the tension and the, I like you, but I don't trust you slash I love you and I desperately want to trust you kind of thing they have going on. It's just, it makes, it makes me so happy. The scene where she's eating an apple and then she hisses <laughs> like a snake. I just, that's one of the greatest Star Trek scenes there have ever been. It was perfect in every way and she was fighting the terminator and winning and uh, <laughs> and yeah no the, the comic moments so amazing favorite one was the one with the baby and she sort of looks as though she's about to coo over it and then what's his name looks at her and her face is like i wasn't about to coo over that baby and she totally was it was <laughs> i have a lot of michelle you feeling i i love it when every moment where she is doing something to help michael and michelle Yeoh is able to portray you know i like she clearly loves michael but she kind of hates that she loves michael it's yeah. like she she feels like it's a weakness in her character because she's still the emperor of the terran universe but it's still but, not a weakness that she's going to deny because remember exactly. when michael's mom says mm-hmm. you love michael she like she doesn't contradict her or try and pretend she yeah. doesn't she says, i've seen like, it i've used time beautiful. travel i've seen it mm-hmm. you've sacrificed for her for her and also sorts of different ways you can't deny it and she's like you know whatever let's not talk about it yeah it was like, such I don't a have to like little it. bit of characterization there i thought so mm-hmm. so good look my 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 toughness is my brand i'm just gonna not admit that <laughs> I'm, I'm a softy <laughs> uh, there's there's no the, this universe i keep waiting for her to keep saying like your stupid universe keeps getting to me you and your feelings and all of that i was i like the other <laughs> universe better but now i'm in this dumb one it's so bright <laughs> over here mm. um mm. Yeah, she doesn't have to use the eye drops. It's uh, weird. Maybe she does. It's just a headcanon, Joe. It's off. She's got some contacts or something. She doesn't have screen. Uh, yeah, the mirror universe contacts. That's, yeah. But uh, I was really skeptical when they kept her around at the end of last season because she's a genocidal dictator and she uh-huh. was almost going to blow up Quonos uh, with uh, an explosive device uh-huh. on the core of the planet. Uh, and then it's just like, shrug, whatever. Uh, we want to keep you around for another season, so uh, disappear off stage. And uh, that didn't quite, it didn't quite sit well as like a satisfying route to go with that, but uh, I'm glad that they kept her to do this. Um, what they've done with her this season is much better. Um, it, it just it was kind of sloppy how they got her off yeah. screen and to the side and stuff. Yeah, those last couple episodes of season one were kind of not 
Yeah, they were kind of a mess. But they did leave some good ingredients for season two, for sure. Now, we've talked a lot for, for a long time about characters and a little bit about art direction, too. I feel like this is fitting that now I turn to the time travel plot of the season because if there's one thing I can say about Discovery and it's something that I appreciate actually I'm not insulting it here is that this show recognizes that the most important thing is the characters and it prioritizes them sometimes uh, so far over the plot and the demands of the plot that there were literally there is a scene in one episode where there is literally a ticking countdown to uh, horrible things happening in the background as a character stops to have a long speech about their feelings. And it just made me laugh because it's like, well, that's this show. There are so many ticking clocks for so many different reasons. And yet, mm-hmm. the, you know, never like Spock and Burnham in the last episode have one of these two where they've already been told that every second that you wait, more people are dying. And they're like, yeah, yep. but we need to really have a chat, father or uh, brother to sister. We need to do that now. Uh, it's like explode everywhere and it's like no no no, we need to talk but that's i feel like it, ultimately the right thing to do is to prioritize the characters and i think they did a great job of it we did have a plot which was a t- twisty turny time travel plot time travel plots are very hard um th- this one uh you know involves the seven signals and it turns out that it's very obviously going to be one of our characters in the future sending the signals back except then there's a twist and it's actually burnham's mother which i saw coming by about 10 minutes but it was uh, (laughs) it was so that was pretty good that was like they they kept that one for for a while where i didn't quite know where that was going and then it turns out oh but it's not actually her because the seven signals weren't her she's been um it is revealed and i think it's easy to lose sight of this what's revealed in those episodes with her mother is her mother continues to make changes in the timeline and is going through the timeline again and again and again, uh, trying to get a desired result, which is not the end of all sentient life in the galaxy killed by a, a, a rogue artificial intelligence. And so she keeps making changes. And that's the timeline that we see is it's the last time loop. It's the it's the one where uh, she basically gets the ball to her daughter who takes it across the finish line and they they save the day. Presumably, it seems like it's strong implied mm-hmm. we don't actually know because we don't see what happens after they go to the future but let's just assume they that send a signal back it's they, all cool there Jason. is a signal right you're right so that mm-hmm. it's all good it's all good so twisty turny time travel we're watching the end of a time loop some things that seem like coincidences are probably not coincidences because they were uh but it, t- it does turn out that the signals themselves are sent in the last episode by michael burnham as the signposts in a bit of self-fulfilling prophecy what i'm saying is there's a lot of time travel and there's a big story arc involving time travel um and it's a bootstrap paradox yes indeed or as uh one of our uh listeners to the flashcast called it in an email uh creeping doctor whoification of star trek (laughs) which is like okay fair uh but so so how do people feel about the uh the show handling time travel and um and balancing sort of the needs of the story arc with the uh, fact that this is 14 individual standalone hours of television. Uh, I need someone to explain to me how you know the number of signals if you can't identify where they are Mm. or when they happened, but then they don't happen yet because they happen later. Because yeah, your that ship was, goes I mean, to them. Yeah. Spock Spock drew them. So like he knew that there were seven, but then somehow Starfleet also knew that there were seven. So that's Well they saw the them, but then they couldn't find the location of them. It was it was they were just sort of vaguely around. They knew there were seven. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, but they hadn't happened yet. So how do you see them? <laughs> maybe Burnham popped all seven, like the earliest. She goes back to the earliest one. She somehow does all seven of them quickly at once and then redoes them at the appropriate time. Yeah. So that's that's question that's, mark. I can head canon it too and say that um, because there's also the thing like it takes time for for even if you say subspace and not just the speed of light, it takes time for things to travel across the galaxy. Mm. But my head canon there is that, you know, they if you've got time travel, you could actually leave the signals in the past at the right time so that they're all seen in one location simultaneously, which I feel like they could have this a lot of my issues are i can i can headcanon the heck out of this um they just chose not to explain it in dialogue and it let leaves it kind of frustratingly vague and confusing and i get you don't want to explain everything but like that would have been kind of cool if there was a scene where they said literally these things were left uh, you know we are seeing them all now but they, they there's no way that could have been because of the speed of light there's no way we could have seen that but they don't ever say anything like that I don't think Star Trek wants to get into the speed of light and relative time for some reason. I think for a lot of this stuff, it's like, look, the best thing to do here is to be vague about it. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. But how can you be vague, but then have a specific number? Yeah. Suffice to know. say, there are seven signals that you'll be receiving <laughs> in some order over the course of this season. And we'll investigate them all one by one, which as a conceit is actually pretty good because it leads to these episodes that are a little more episodic where they can they can say we are going to uh, to New Eden and we're going to go to uh, Saru's planet and we're going to go to the you know, we're going to get we're going to meet the red murder ball uh, that's floating around <laughs> in space and like episodes unlike last season i feel like there were more episodes that were like oh that's the episode where they went to talos 4 um but to do that they created this artificial structure of seven signals to follow yeah or you can just explain it with maybe he did invent the transparent aluminum yeah Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe that's <laughs> the line. We, that's kinda, we don't know. But can, when you uh, uh, said the what the red uh, ball that wants the, to destroy the, like, the murder ball, yeah, the, the sphere, the yeah, murder sphere. That, the time travel stuff, like I'll give them that. Like time travel stuff is always goofy. It never quite makes sense. Like we all saw Primer. What anyway? Uh, so <laughs> I got a chart for you. It explains sense. the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like it's always weird. The thing I had like the most trouble with was was the the sphere with the memory and all of that stuff, and just. The, the sort of fast way they introduced control. Like yeah. That was, that just kind of, that was like three lines and we're supposed to believe it this like massive space station with like the, uh, an artificial intelligence that kind of takes care of the tactics it, in the Klingon war. And it's all just like, yeah, it's control, you know, it's over there. If that's Let's, your villain, don't you think it yeah. should be set up better? Because yeah, I noticed it because I think there's a line of dialogue on the Section 31 ship where where uh, Giorgio actually says, mm -hmm. you know, back in the mirror universe, I just use my gut to conquer everything. And that was awesome. You've got this AI that tells you what to do. Yeah. She says, I tell, I tell the computers what to do in my universe, yeah. not the other way and, around. And I said, do we know about this AI? Have we heard uh -huh. of it before? That's a weird detail. And I just left it there. And it turns out, oh, that's actually the villain of the whole story. And like... Yeah. What a weird yeah. way to introduce the villain to the story. This faceless uh, also there's I've got more, you know, that I could throw in there about how there's torpedoes from the future that get sent back to the past and that there there's like an AI in the torpedoes that goes into Arium but then they blow up the space station. So was that not control or that was like control from the future, but there's also a control on the present and it there's a lot. It's kind of a mess of a plot. Yeah, cuz how does control in the present know that Michael is a danger because 
Arium is the one who knows that because the future probe thing. And that's that why was they, they kill Arium. That's why yeah. Arium sacrifices herself to, and yet Control seems to have gotten an email from itself from the future or something. I don't know. Well, it's like Terminator 3 when the uh, Terminator uh, calls up the Terminator of the present with a modem and uh, tells mm. it all about what's going to happen. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I can buy that. I don't. I don't mind that the control thing doesn't exactly make sense, or it's introduced in a very bizarre and unsatisfying manner. Or I don't actually believe that Star Starfleet are like, yeah, we're cool. We'll just uh, let the AI tell us how to fight this war because that just that doesn't seem right. My main problem with this is that the villain is so bleh. They don't have any. I don't know. They don't. They're not compelling. You know. I don't care about your AI. You're not doing anything interesting or cool or awesome. You're just. You're just blowing up a bunch of planets. Everyone blows up planets. Your plan is dull. <laughs> and you know. I, I. I just. I just want an AI with a little more personality, a little more quirkiness, something that's a different angle or unusual. It doesn't matter to me. It really for me in the overall scheme of things because I love so many of the other characters so much and all that other stuff was great. But, you know, as as villains go, very disappointing. Mm-hmm. I feel like if they had injected the nanites into, what's his name, Mr. Section 31, um, earlier. Yep, that's his name. That's, that's Mr. Section that's, Mr. 31. No, no, because Section 31 <laughs> comes from the number of ships they have. It turns out they have 31 <laughs> ships, and that's why they named it that. Um, that helped having him yes. be the villain but yeah. it happens so late in the game and the villain is so amorphous for so long and i kind of would have preferred if it had been revealed that an admiral or him or somebody was was this evil ai all along and was plotting and and instead it was just kind of sloppy and i wonder there was a switchover of of showrunners um early in the run here um and I wonder if that was a, a plot detail that just kind of got dropped on the on the floor and then picked up and 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 changed as they went because once it was in the guy, I felt it was and also you know it had this you know coming Terminator kind of creeping across the floor with nanites and stuff like that. That was a much more effective villain because it was in your face. Um, even though yes, its plot is just kill all humans, um, yeah. but that happened kind of late in the game and before then it was just kind of like this faceless villain from the future. Kill all sentient beings. I'm just, I'm just saying, because you know, uh, there's, there's some Klingons, Star Trek Six, who might object to you saying kill all humans. All right, like kill that. all, all <laughs> sentient life. Yeah, mm-hmm. kill yes. all humans is just shorthand because robots always want to kill all humans. It's just, it's their thing. But, but Leland earlier in the season was, I mean, he was still sort of a villain. But the sort the of. Whole, it was the backstory with how it was. It was oh my gosh, it was him. He's the one that got uh, that got Michael Burnham's parents killed. And uh, I honestly didn't care that much about that mm. part of the plot either. <laughs> so yeah. I guess yeah. I would have been I would have been happy with him being injected with with nanites earlier on. Um, and I know it was supposed to be like this big character moment, and Burnham punches him out, and I was just like. Really, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I guess I wouldn't have reacted quite that way, but I'm I am certainly not Michael Burnham. Yeah, because apparently in Starfleet, everybody meets everybody at some point. Like Very it's, small. It's, it's small. Seventeen yeah. people yeah. just passing around the ship. Don't, like don't make the universe that small. But actually, the weird thing was, I, I completely agree with Erica there. I was like, yeah, okay, fine. The actual moment with Leland that I felt was really cool was was seconds before his death, where he's facing off against the AI and is like, "Yeah, you're not you're not going to win this because 
I found Leland much more interesting than the AI. Yes. Because mm. his morality was like, I never really knew exactly where he stood because he was yeah. being so... It was He obviously wants to defend the Federation, but how far is he willing to go? What's he willing to sacrifice? How much is he willing to save people? And how much is he willing to, to kill people to do it? And there was a really nice balance there of you never knew which way he was going to jump. And that was great. And then the AI is just like, it has one good moment, which I thought, which was when it was pretending to be the Vulcan Admiral. And then we get the reveal of the Vulcan Admiral's been dead. And I thought, that's quite cool. You're quite a sneaky wee AI there. You had one one shiny dramatic moment. And then you're just like, yeah, as as Jason says, kill all humans, but sentient life. And, and et cetera. Well, the AI, also, <laughs> if they had had that Vulcan Admiral... Mm-hmm. be more of a sort of in a debate with Leland about section 31 tactics. And then it's mm-hmm. revealed that it's actually the AI and it's taken over. That would have been an interesting twist too, but it, it instead it sort of happens after the fact and is a little bit, I mean, what, what we're saying here is we spent a lot of time talking about all the great character stuff. And then also there was a plot that was, <laughs> you know, served to get the characters to go through things that were interesting, but is not the, it's a it's a, kind of a ramshackle plot. Let's be honest. Uh, it's not not the, not the not the tightest of. It, it's got some plots. nice imagery and some nice moments, mm-hmm. and it's like you're you're on this rickety train trying to get between these quite nice stations or the bits of the the journey that are like really beautiful views, but you're also scared that you're going to topple off into the ravine below several times. I actually like the. Uh, I keep coming back to it, but I like the idea that we're watching the last iteration of a time loop that Michael's mother is basically causing to try and find a solution. And that that um, the way that I read it is, you know, she caused all the breakdown on the Enterprise so that Pike had to come to the Discovery because she's trying to find move pieces around to get to the place where they can find Spock. And Spock knows this information because she was able to communicate it to him. Um, we will learn later that the that, that whole um, murder sphere running into Discovery, she did that because she needed them to find it and in order like she's constructed it's not all uh coincidence she's constructed this entire plot using time travel to try and find the solution to her problem which uh, it doesn't go the way she expects and yet she does find that solution in the end i think i like that but um again most of that comes as a realization in a few lines of dialogue in like episode 11 and so you know i'm not sure it retroactively it makes the the some of it be like oh okay i'll go with that but in the moment it's sort of like okay i guess that happened yeah and there's there's some sloppiness with like we have data that can't be deleted from this thing and we don't know how to transfer the data but we can copy some data to the thing somehow yeah. will intercept the transmission of something we can't copy. Anyway, it, like computers, how do they work? It was, it was inconsistent. <laughs> and I would have used, I would have liked some dialogue that said, well, we, we tried to blow out the computer core, but it turns out there are too many connected systems and it's still, it made a, you know, it's made a redundant copy of itself and all of that. Like there could have been, but yeah, the computer stuff is not, not yeah. so it just has a, like a, a great cloud backup system yeah. the whole ship like it just you never know it's very which, bad you know hard mm-hmm. drives yeah there it goes everywhere okay let's talk about how this uh season comes to an end 
because huh. um, speaking of trying to clean up all uh, issues with premises from the first season, it, it's clear that and in interviews after the fact, it's it's uh, the whole premise of season two is built to get to the moment where the discovery with the sphere data and our characters have to go through via time travel through a wormhole to the future in order to put the this deadly data out of reach of the AI. Um, and as a result, we end up with uh, the discovery going through that wormhole and sending a little signal back, but it puts the discovery and whoever chose to be on the discovery at the time that it goes through the wormhole in what apparently is a, you know, in the far future of Star Trek and everybody else back uh, in the present day of Discovery up till now agrees in a montage at the very end of the season to never speak of Discovery or its mission or its crew ever again, which is the show's way of sort of saying, and that's why you never heard about the Spore Drive or Michael Burnham. Uh, <laughs> and Spock actually says, I've agreed not to speak to it except to my parents. And uh, you're not invited, viewers, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, how, how did How did everybody feel about um, the way that this season wraps up. I can understand why it's it's gone into finishing off with, with Pike, number one, and Spock. Um, but I couldn't help but feel sad and disappointed because it's like, I want to I see my dudes for, yeah. for a final thing. I want to know what's happening here. And I get it. It's like they don't necessarily know where they've gone or what's going to happen or what the storyline is. So they're leaving it completely open. We get that little hint that they're okay because they got the signal. And so we're really excited and anticipating next year. But that's next year. I want to know right now, damn it. And um, yeah, and it, it's uh, the, the last bit. If I guess because we're saying goodbye to them, maybe those three. And even though they should totally have a series. I was totally, totally fine with it because, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of Star Trek that takes place chronologically after this. And, you know, we, yeah, we've never heard of the Discovery. We've never heard of Spore Drives. But there's probably, you know, history is big. A lot of stuff has happened. There are probably lots of things that we never heard about on, you know, Next Generation or in, in Voyager or Deep Space Nine yeah. or the original series. Series. Like there's all kinds of weird and wacky things, and you know, throughout the the later history of Star Trek event, you know, you'll have a random episode where suddenly you learn about this thing that has been rumored or secret, or as people have just known about for a long time that we as viewers had never heard about before because the characters in the show either didn't know about it or just didn't talk about it in front of us. So I have no problem believing that we could see. All of the rest of the Star Trek that we have seen uh, without anybody mentioning either of these things, because there are literally an infinity of other things right. that they also haven't mentioned. So I'm cool. I, I really enjoy how much they obviously love Star Trek and all the little details that they put in that you pick up if you're a Star Trek fan. They just It doesn't matter if you're not. It's just nice little, little Easter eggs. But their seeming need to get it all to fit into Star Trek canon is just ridiculous, because we don't even have Starfleet or the United Federation of Planets at the start of the original Star Trek. Or we see, um, what's his name? Who invented Warp Drive again? Zephyrin Cochran. Cochran. Yeah, we see a Zephyrin Cochran in the original series who's completely different, obviously, at Zephyrin Cochran in, in First Contact. The idea that Star Trek has any sort of continuous continuity throughout it is ridiculous. They contradict themselves all the time for the needs of the story. And um, so the idea of like, oh, we have to keep quiet about this. It's like, really? 
Especially when you're talking about Spock here. Spock, who never mentioned and was willing to die rather than tell his best friend and captain that he was getting married. Spock, who never bothered to mention that the ambassador and his wife were his parents until they were standing right in front of him and... Kirk brought up. Spock never mentioned his half brother. Yeah, until I was going to say. Ship. I mean, Star Trek it's Five like, already broke the broke the seal on yeah. this. <laughs> and it's like I think I think given this guy the way his guy talks about his family and how he just doesn't mention until he really absolutely has to. I think it's completely cool. I mean, I could have had another like five or six years of discovery, and uh, that would have been fine. We don't we don't have to mention or know every single major hero in the Star Trek universe. Um, it's it's like there's six billion people alive today and most of us don't know who did sodding amazing things 200 years ago and we're not going to bring it up even if we do in everyday conversations with our exciting adventures saving the world and um, exploring strange new stuff. So yeah, it's it's um, it seems it's pandering to fans who don't look at Star Trek the same way I do, mm-hmm. and therefore I'm against it. Only <laughs> pander to high problems. I don't mind the idea of saying, you know what, pre- doing prequel stuff inside a canon uh, structure is hard, and it would be an easier show to do if it was not, you know, because Enterprise dealt with that, which is like, well, we didn't meet the Borg until later, so if we meet the Borg, it has to we not we need to not know, and and like the Romulans, well, we could do the Romulans, but we need to not know oh, yeah. because and it limits stories. <laughs> so I get that part, but the idea that they went through this entire season just so that they could explain how Discovery isn't known seems like unnecessary to me. Too. Yeah, there's a part where it seems like the decision to send them into the future happen later-ish in this. I'm not entirely sure if that was the plan at the beginning. Mm. Because uh, you have the very rushed goodbyes that happen in first part of the finale. Super weird to watch in isolation um, yeah. without the other episode. But uh, the, like, there's uh, saying goodbye to Sarah and Amanda and all this other stuff that's occurring, and you're just like, why, are, why is this necessary? And then the next week you find out, oh, it's because they're gone into the future and they'll never see them again uh because that otherwise would have been more organically woven into uh where we were going with this rather than sarah and sarah was meditating on a, on a toronto lakeshore mm-hmm. and uh decided to uh fly in his shuttle to the ship say goodbye to burnham not talk to spock then leave where they were where they were in an emergency where they couldn't talk to starfleet go back to vulcan i guess and not <laughs> say anything about their problem to yeah. anybody i don't know that was an unnecessary scene yeah, it was regardless mm-hmm. yeah yeah but it, it was another Stark and amanda scene don't want to cut any of those <laughs> want to jab it a few extra ones if we can but I, I did love how they were very committed to not having sarek and spock talk at all and the only time they met was when spock was not in his right mind because of um canon from from journey to babel yeah. and not having spoke for ages it's like i'll oh, bless your commitment to something that i wouldn't mind if you broke yeah canon <laughs> canon and that's that's the problem with being inside the canon is you're like oh well this this scene should have an ah but it's contraindicated by these other scenes it's like well i get wanting to be out of that by the way that final episode was originally or the two-parter was originally one episode and they 
overstuffed it and they actually went and said can we have another episode and that's why it's a 14 episode season and not a 13 episode season i'm a little baffled by that because and maybe it goes back to like the canadian tv deal or some other calculation (laughs) they're making because it's a streaming series why don't you just make the last episode longer but instead i think it was you know uh, there was some budget and also they're like well it will work better if we say there are 14 and it gives us another week where everybody has to pay for our uh, streaming service so (laughs) but as a result Really, yeah. those last two episodes should be watched as one episode because it really is even structured that way. And yeah, part one is goodbyes and part two is pew, 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 lasers. Yeah, and then I, some goodbyes. I can't believe fighting. it's just two episodes because I really feel that we needed at least another 30, 40 minutes of that space battle. No. <laughs> it did go on long No. No. <laughs> Can we, the, can we can we do the space battle? Just uh, I just yeah. have a thing to say because uh, you mean the Star, Star Wars Trek? space battle inside Star <laughs> yep. Trek? Yes, yes, yep. that's the well, that's sort of the, yes. Because Star Trek, like the the sort of the the premises, the ships are sort of like old timey ships where there's a captain and people have to repeat orders yeah, so they can be heard. They're, and they're stuff. battleships or they're submarines. Yeah. They're not fighter. Yes. they're not fighter yes. pilots. Star, yes, Star Trek is basically Christmas tide most of the time, and what we saw in the that final episode was it wasn't even Star Wars it was one of those crappy G.I. Joe movies like that <laughs> that's how I saw the battle like I hate the fact that there's shuttles with guns and the section 31 ships have drones and stuff I don't know I, I get that you can do all of that stuff with CGI now but I always like the, the submarine movies that Star Trek can be like even within the episodes of the series that was kind of that, that's kind of how I want those ships to behave and they, they increasingly get more agile and you know like and the the robots that fix the the enterprise the little lego men that go out i love them i did too i kind of love them too although yeah. i agree with a lot of the other bits they're cute but they don't make any sense Yes, but like, but the the, the, the <laughs> but thing I liked, cute. yeah, but the, the thing I liked about Star Trek was always sort of the ships could kind of do warp and like go through space, but like space was still very unforgiving. Mm-hmm. And like with all of the technology they kind of introduced in that final battle, like space doesn't seem like a big deal anymore. And I think you lose something with that. They were surrounded in a ring with complete open mm-hmm. space above them and below them, which was like, come on, guys, it's not it's, it should be a ball around them because it's three dimensional space. But but I agree. I think I liked the battle and they set it up with dialogue about that but it didn't feel star trekky to me and yeah. i wonder did they just want to have a pew, pew 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 lots of things flying around battle because i would think you could structure this final confrontation where they're in a solar system and there are there are a bunch of ships and it might not need to be 30 it could have been a smaller number or whatever but there's like the two enterprise and discovery and and enterprise is able to do whatever it wants and discovery is kind of like bogged down and then there are these other ships and they're firing phasers and torpedoes and stuff like couldn't you do a naval battle kind of style thing instead of like the glitter of a bunch of little things going pew 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 pew, pew and would that not have been a more to me that would have been a more star trekky finale and i don't know whether they tried it and they couldn't figure out how to make it work or whether they just decided no we want to go full-on you know fighter fighter pilots because something that doesn't happen in star trek is launch the fighter squadrons right yes yes that doesn't happen in that's star trek the weird and that's why it's it was even more jarring to me like we said like with the chair and with the star the enterprise bridge like you can see these people lo- like love star trek right and yeah. then to have you know when when uh, leland like mr 31 says count again and the drones drop i wanted to leave the room like i just 
like what oh. no come on like that's that's launch the fighters I felt like it was okay coming from control right oh but, yeah, yeah yeah I think uh, mm-hmm. I don't know I well, can understand if we've seen Star Trek has lacked that kind of fighter pilot you know little interceptor capacity I can sort of see that you might want to try and experiment with that a bit but you can do that and still keep some sort of submarine slash battleship vibe you know i i kind of got that a little bit from like battlestar galacta did feel a bit more like it's a big sub slash battleship but it also happens to have fighters on it because there weren't like hundreds of them there were a handful of them and you and also, you do get battleships that have fighters on them and fighter squadrons. So I can kind of so get behind that. But I completely. Well, I compl- they, they, yes, they, yes, that's what they're called: battleship aircraft. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but they Stop flooded the space with just tons of tiny little things going all over <laughs> in every direction. And there's basically like tracer fire is what they turned the like, yeah. phasers between these fighters into. And there was just like these uh, almost like flak explosions of just explosions that were going off seemingly all the time from something being hit somewhere sometimes. And maybe maybe it was a function of uh, originally trying to do this in one episode that they they wanted to keep it simple. And although that's a complicated set of visual effects to do, it doesn't require you to know the geography. Mm, Whereas yeah. a, yeah. a capital ship battle, you need to have geography and scenes where they're moving around and they're going around planets and stuff like that. I think that would be really cool. But maybe yeah. maybe this is a function of the fact that this was going to be one episode and they really just wanted to escalate the tension and have some explosions while the characters were doing what they needed to do in the background. And then, you know, but it didn't feel I, I don't say this a lot where it's like, well, this isn't Star Trek. But like this didn't feel like Star Trek to me. It felt like they wanted to do a, a very different kind of battle and even though they put a lantern on it with dialogue with number one saying well i got all of these drones that were armed and because i thought we might need them it's like yeah but you know the enterprise doesn't have fighter fighters on in the shuttle bay that's not what that's not what the enterprise does and it's not what discovery does and yet here we are so i didn't yeah and again and one of my sorry just one of my things which i always mention like in the shuttles anytime anybody flies them it's just like a big ipad with buttons like, how do you do those maneuvers with those buttons? Like, that Star irks me every Trek time. Star Trek magic. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it, the Star Trek magic. Have like, you tried to play an arcade every... game on an iPad before? It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you need a physical no, controller. No. Come on. <laughs> no, but I, I, like, I don't want it to sound like, you know, we just wanted a naval battle. But, like, just the, the care they put into it, this, like, s- some aspects of this uh, season, just being very Star trek in the best possible way, that was the opposite. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. why it's so jarring to me. Like, I don't really mind it. It was like a big battle, fine. You got a little but Star like Wars just, and a little Doctor Who mixed into your Star yeah, Trek. That's all. Yeah. And again, GI Joe, just terrible movies. But watch them; you'll see the same thing, kind of. You know. I think the problem the Star Trek has had battles where there are like shuttles or like runabouts, at least in it. Like mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. DS Nine, at the yeah. end of season um, three, you've got uh, not the Enterprise, but the Enterprise the model, Odyssey. and three the, yes, and uh, three runabouts fighting uh, Dominion ships, and you've got. Um, in the Maquis part two, you've got runabouts fighting pseudo runabouts uh, the Maquis are flying. So, the, it, although it's obviously it's much smaller numbers of ships, and I don't know, it's like we're most be meant to be impressed the more ships there are. But the problem for me during the battle is I didn't, I wasn't emotionally engaged. Like I didn't mm-hmm. care. Yeah. I wasn't getting a thrill out of it. Virtually every Star Trek battle that's not the original series gives you a thrill. I mean, think of how you feel during Wrath of Khan. Yes, it's that feeling. 
that I, I got with the Dominion War stuff. I even got with some stuff in TNG where it was like dubious effects and, um, and redemption. There was a really cool Klingon ship battle. But here it was like, uh, okay, it's, it's still going on. People are still shooting. You know, I, I wasn't feeling anything. And I felt really sad about that because it's the final episode. I want to get, I want to get hit with emotions. But the big emotional hits for me were, uh, Pike seeing the future and, and Michael meeting her mom. And, uh, and the last episode was just emotional stakes kind of flat. And I feel bad. Yeah. I don't want to don't feel anything. Just yeah, I liked part part one, actually, of the, hmm. the two part ending better, even though, you know, I admit, yeah, it feels a little bit weird because it's it's standalone, but it had it had all of the goodbyes. And I don't care if some of them didn't make sense. I enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, and there was a lot of <laughs> lot of pew, pew, pew in part two. And then, I mean, by the very, very end of it, I was I was sort of back on board because we had those emotional beats like with, sure. with, with Spock and, and Michael. So I did have that uh, the feeling that they wanted me to feel at the very end when we're seeing the Enterprise bridge crew and, you know, saying goodbye to them for the end of the season. But uh, but yeah, you know, it was it was a pretty battle. If I like maybe if I had been really stoned, I would have really loved it. <laughs> Watch the pretty lights. Yep. Um, so at the end of the uh, episode, the last episode, um, Lauren turned to me and she said, so which show does they do yeah. they do they expect yeah. us to want to watch next because both 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 the way, well both. yeah it, it's funny because it, i think it's a beautiful moment where they're going through and there's like the little tracers on them like the wormhole in star trek the motion picture it was a really nice callback mm-hmm. and we and it's the bright light and the discovery is going into it it's almost like it's going it's ascending it's we see it from above and it's going into the wormhole and all of that um and it's it's a pretty thing and we're left with this like wow they're going to be 920 years in the future what is the 32nd century like in star trek that's kind of like hanging out there also presumably in the future they have like uh time travel and could they go back in time uh maybe maybe not i don't know um but uh we're left with the bridge of the enterprise going off on its journey and i know what they're really trying to say is sort of like and thus begins the story you know which is the original series except not for about seven years but everybody i talk to about it says okay we're ready for season one of the adventures of Spock and Pike and number one and the rest of the Enterprise, right? 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 Yep. 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 And they did build the set. That was a proper set. They did build set. the set. It's right except there. Except for the view screen. But they can build that next yeah, year. Except the view. They CGI the <laughs> view screen in. But yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I feel like that's one of the peculiar things about it is that I don't know whether they knew we would all feel that way or whether they, they were they were hedging because they weren't sure how it was going to go but surely by the end they were like oh yeah turns out Anson Mount is fantastic and Ethan Peck is good and Rebecca Romaine is good and like they've announced like five different new Star Trek shows it's very perplexing to me that they would do this at the end of this uh this season of Discovery and act sort of nonchalant about like, oh yeah, we hear that the fans are, uh, uh, love them and that's great. And like, well, they didn't say no, but they also didn't say yes. And it's like, I, I, I'm a little baffled by it because maybe they're thinking over, I assume. I hope, I hope so. Because, um, to talk about the canon that we've talked about before, I think this season proves you could do a show with these characters and maybe have them, you know, do some things that are, you know, they're exploring strange new worlds. It doesn't always have to be new things with the Klingons and new things with the, the Romulans. It can be exploring strange new worlds with with these characters and they haven't met the, they can't see the Romulans because of canon. Yeah. But like, 
it, there's a big universe out there, the big galaxy out there. They could <laughs> we could see them explore things and have some fun and do a little miniseries. It doesn't it, it's it's streaming. They could do six episodes. They could do you know eight episodes or whatever. But uh, they made such great casting choices. It's very painful to look at that the, those characters on that set, and we've seen that it works and have them be like, no, this is all you get. <laughs> like, God, yes. you're, just, you're just like drumming up my pain here at maybe not <laughs> having this series happen and it's like when if you told me that at the end of this season there'd be so much chat and talk and enthusiasm on the internet for a pike spin-off um i'd have been like i just sighed and going oh great another star trek series back to pandering to the status quo with some white dude leading it when already half of Star Trek has that and we had those two captains in Discovery and we're getting the Picard show but I really don't think it would be pandering to the status quo here I think there would be hugely genuine merit in actually having one and Anson Mount is properly brilliant in the role and it's so deserved and please let us have it I want it so much again they built the set like that's <laughs> right just keep saying they built the set yeah, that, that will get us the show you that, that's, spend that's money gonna be, that's gonna be on the kickstarter like <laughs> the set's already built people the budget is your budget for a pilot episode is that much oh. lower because you, you snuck that money into the discovery budget it's brilliant yeah. your accountants can, tell can you just, listen to your accountants they'll I, tell you to make this show it makes financial sense to make the pike show the, yes uh, the defense but i don't understand how they overcome the challenges that made them want to go into the future with discovery because sure they won't have to deal with spore driver burnham interacting with all this stuff but how do you continue to be constrained if that was something they wanted to get around it's a different set of problems right because it's not these new characters that they want to explore it's kind of some existing characters it's true it would be a different challenge but i i i don't know there's just that moment where i I sit there and think i i because i always expected their next move would be a next next generation show with the uh, a new USS Enterprise in the post kind of Picard era because that's like root Star Trek is let's do another show on the Enterprise but after this season of Discovery I sit there and I think or <laughs> I didn't think of this before but what if your Star Trek show is literally the bridge of the Enterprise with Captain Pike and it's the previous five-year mission like I don't know you're right there are canon issues but this season has kind of convinced me and maybe it convinced the writers I don't know like the way they handled it um, it didn't feel like they were too constrained. There are lots of stories for them to tell. But you're right, Joe, it does go against the whole idea of extracting Discovery from, from canon so that they can move on. Just for the Discovery, uh, which I guess will be in season three, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to doubt it yeah. now. No, it's already like, already renewed for season three. It was I know, renewed like I know, six months I know. ago. I'm just, yeah. saying, I'm just saying, like, I just, I do sort of like, I don't know where it's going to go, but sort of, the, it's it sort of has a Voyager feel to it, you know, like a ship going somewhere where maybe the Federation's not there anymore. I don't know. It kind of has that feel to me and I, I'm a fan of Voyager, so I'm kind of excited about that as well. Just having them be somewhere, you know? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm kind of... Because the, the the way that the Worms Hole work, right? I, I, maybe I'm getting this wrong. It's not just the time. You can basically show up anywhere, right? It's not just the future. It's the future anywhere, like physically in the future. So they might be in the Delta Quadrant for all I well, know. Well, the, the signal you know? came from the Beta Quadrant, right? But oh, I don't, oh, but yeah. she, oh, yeah, but she right. was putting the signals everywhere in the time suit. So it's unclear. It's unclear how that works. 
Yeah, and that that's kind of exciting to me. If they just you know, if, if it, like it's the beta quadrant or whatever, it that kind of be awesome. Just a lone ship with like seventeen people on it doing stuff. I don't know. I'm up for that. You know, again, but they did build the set. <laughs> Hashtag build the set. <laughs> There's room for more Star Trek on TV. Is I think what we're all saying. There's room. Yeah. Oh yeah. For it. like I, I I wouldn't I don't see it as a choice of one or the other. I would like to see both Absolutely. of these things. My yes. concern with seeing more of Pike and Spock and number one on the Enterprise is just that you're going to have some of those same challenges that many of these prequel projects have had. And while it might be easy to skirt those for a few episodes or get a run of six or something, but I don't know how you can do multiple years of trying to squeeze it in. I think you would have to commit to the idea that you're not going to go over established canon so much that it really is going to be. If you do a a Pike on the Enterprise show, it's got to be, like I said, Strange New Worlds. Like we're on a five-year mission into deep space and we're going to go to planets that we've never seen, never heard of, and they're going to tell some weird stories. And it's not going to be, let's go spelunking through canon again, right? And those stories you could tell. Yes, we will know that Pike is not going to die and 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 Spock is not going to die but I will say like I've never really bought those arguments because of course your main characters are not going to die that mm-hmm. that very very rarely happens in television right so I, I and you we still enjoy watching the shows where those characters are put in jeopardy because the question is sort of how do they get out of it so I, I think they could do it but yeah it would it would have to be uh, you know it's tricky and you they would have to be a commitment i think to not having it just be a rehash but but having it be like what what if we did the original series today what would be that because the original series was able to explore strange new worlds we'd never heard up heard about before yeah i mean there isn't a really a original series episode that if you just took out the original series and shifted it around for like modern audiences and pretend the original series didn't do it and plonked it down, that it would it would fit fine. There's there's so many plots that just have got nothing to do with like big Star Trek canon. And even if they did a bit, it's, I, I I don't know. There surely must be more people like me who just don't care that much yeah. because you watch <laughs> mm-hmm. original Trek. It, 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 it changes so much. Just just, from, just from, bypass it. I say right. Just just say mm. we're not gonna. This is not gonna be a show about things that are in Star Trek canon. We went off yeah. and had these adventures in this whole other part of the galaxy that you've never heard of. And you don't even have to do that. You can come back. You like you can have an adventure on Beta Z or or please have an on on and 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 or please have lots of adventures <laughs> oh, yes. and or you can you can do stuff like that. And it doesn't it isn't going to contradict anything. It's just using the stuff that's there and it's fine and. God, like you said, who cares if you don't know anyone's going to die? There's like been what, 40, 50 regular Star Trek characters and like three of them have died. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and we all thought Picard was dead every episode of Teenage Mutant. Like <laughs> yes. it all just yeah, that That's was true. a thing. It know? was yep. like y'all, yeah, the the one time that we were like really excited about it is oh, is Patrick Stewart signed up for season four? Mm. Does anyone know? Oh, <gasps> That, that was like the one time anyone cared. It could be basically Enterprise, but actually good. Um, or even <laughs> even if you think about the original series, there were a bunch of races. Well, maybe not a bunch, but there were races that were introduced that we haven't really seen again. Like, there's no reason, you know, to everybody else's point that you can't go and explore strange new worlds. And they're like, oh, no, we don't we don't want to have anything to do with you. Go away. But, you, you know, so that they don't their their absence later on. It doesn't matter. Right. But there's a lot that they could do i feel and um yeah just like use your imagination you don't have to have you know you don't you don't have to 
continually call back on the things that are established. You can you can throw new things in. That's what we want. Or you can go to Andor and do a mini series on Andor. Andor. With Pike. You can hear pink skin so left and right. Good. It'll be awesome. <laughs> We've already taken the really difficult pieces off of the board. You know, the spore drive. Yeah, that's that's definitely a thing that I could understand people. You know, canon centric people being worried about. Like, why don't we have spore drives? Like right. that sort of thing. That's gone. We know that the Enterprise exists. We know that Captain Pike was the captain of it. We know that Spock and Number One were on it. So all of these things perfectly fit into the universe. Uh, I. I I see no problem with this series, so give it to me. <laughs> I think the only difficult thing would be a Spock's character development, because yeah. you can't really do very much with that. Mm. But all, what I say is, to heck with Spock's character development. Let's just not bother. <laughs> just have him be the same the whole sorting way through. Right. Let's focus on Pike on number one. Or yeah. even maybe Spock. <laughs> Spock's stories have been told a lot. Maybe Spock takes an extended leave of absence, and then he comes back like right at the end when it's <laughs> time to acceptable. hand over to Kirk. Right? Like I think his yeah. extended leave of absence was season two of Star Trek Discovery, though. So. Yeah, but more extended. He goes <laughs> no, to teach at the academy. Days. He goes to teach at the academy mm. for several years. Yeah, he's got to do then, the Kobayashi Maru scenario. Right. So he's got to <laughs> run that. <laughs> oh, and 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 if Spock comes back and he's on Pike's ship. Maybe he can talk like Spock talked at the beginning of uh, the uh, the original series. I know Jason can do an impression of the of Spock yelling <gasps> out stuff. Do I, it. I can't do it. Do it, Jason, please, because oh, uh, I love. Like, what is it? Uh, damage control, all stations. He does that. He does that <laughs> thing where he goes, <laughs> he goes <laughs> up at the end. He does that. Yeah. yeah. Something, something definitely there, Captain. It's, it's, he always shuts it up at the end. It's very weird. So yeah, he's got to get Spock. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> Maybe his yeah. hearing's just bad that he's way. Just, you know? yeah, he's just, yeah. He's got an ear infection. In both the, uh, that's how we lead anyway, I think the it is. I think it is telling that um, we watched a season of Star Trek and what it made us want is even more Star Trek. That's good. It's good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. And there will be more Star Trek because uh, th- this is part of the... <laughs> Uh, the scenario here is that uh, franchises on streaming video are super valuable and uh, they're going to make more Star Trek and start that that I think is good for for everyone who likes Star Trek that there will be a lot more Star Trek and if CBS knows anything uh, if it has learned anything from NCIS you know it's that's franchises franchises, franchises yeah. are the way to go so I hope you're all enjoying that in America the NCIS stuff oh, you yeah. get oh with boy CBS it's huge access. here it's huge yeah. um <laughs> All right, so let us uh, put a pin in this until uh, next time because there will be more Star Trek on the horizon. But until then, I would like to thank my panelists for discussing season two of Star Trek Discovery with me. Aline Sims, thank you. Goodbye. Anjay Tomic, thank you. Hashtag they build the set. (laughs) (laughs) Starting out, it's it's right there. It's right there. Erica Ensign, thank you. Uh, Hashtag more Tilly. More Tilly, yay. Always. You know, in the future, does she get her own ship? I don't know. It's uh, do they have a captain development program in the future? Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, just deal. Thank you. Hashtag they tried to fix the Klingons. We didn't talk about that. that. I think that's for the best. I yeah. There's a D seven. There's D seven and secret Klingon babies and time crystal Klingons. I like the Klingon time monks. I thought that was actually a nice new spin on Klingons that I've not. Yeah, but by the time we see the Borath monastery monastery in Star Trek TNG. All those time crystals have gone. Yeah, they, somebody took them. Used up. Somebody ate them. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I got a time tummy ache now. And uh, Liz Miles, thank you. Uh, hashtag, if Discovery's in the future now, we can have Romulans. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Romulans can actually be a thing if you're not 
uh, if you're post TOS, which is nice. All right. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. Until next week, uh, live long and prosper, I suppose. 